Continuing on, okay, we go to verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. So Paul's making it plain. Just because you do the outward rules and you've been circumcised, that doesn't make you a Jew. Well, most Jews of the day will dispute that, okay? If your mother's Jewish, then you're Jewish. It says, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. He's saying that's not the... See, again, they get the cart before the horse. It's good circumcision if you keep the law. If you don't keep the covenant, your circumcision's no good. Same with baptism. People that are baptized, we say. If you don't follow Christ, your baptism doesn't do you a bit of good. Same as laying on of hands. You get empty hands on empty heads. If you're not following the Lord, your calling's not validated by God. You're a false person. You're imitating, but you don't have the goods. That's what God's saying, okay? So circumcision is equal, in a way, to water baptism for Christians. Neither avails and has any spiritual good if one does not keep the covenant, the covenant of the law or the covenant of Christ. Covenant of Christ is to obey Christ. He is the law for us. And when he sent the disciples out, he didn't say just teach them to believe and confess Jesus. He said go into all the world and teach the gospel, preach it, making disciples of all men. What's disciples? Teaching them to observe everything I've told you. That's the true gospel. These tracts and seven scriptures aren't really saving nobody. He says, you teach them all. That's how they be, grow and become disciples. That's how you can tell the difference between wheat and tares after a while. He said, teach them everything I've told you. It ain't a pick and choose matter. I hear people tell me, well, at least I'm saved because I, I just know you're not. You're lost. You either got the false gospel or you're not obeying it. Pick your choice, but you're not in the covenant, okay? Oh, that disturbs people. It should disturb them. Might keep them out of hell, okay? So if one does not keep the covenant of the law as a Jew or the Christ obey him and be led of the Spirit, he's not a Christian. Very simple. Many are baptized in water. They just get wet. Circumcision and baptism in water were outward signs. It's supposed to be to what happened inside. So really, baptism don't save a person. It's interesting, Jesus said he that believes and is baptized is saved, okay? But he didn't say if you're not baptized, you can be disobedient and you can be slow about the process, but water baptism will not save you. But it is an obedience to Christ. Eventually, it must be done. So people need to understand that. It's an outward act. So eventually God wants compliance. And he gives people, Christians, time to consider certain commands. They don't think that's serious. Do you know the Lord, when God told him through Moses to circumcise and everything, and they did this, one day it's really a shocking scripture. The Bible says that Moses, see, he had some sons, and they weren't circumcised yet. And you know it said? That's a hard script. It said, and God, Jehovah, sought to kill Moses because he didn't circumcise his sons. See, he was saying to Moses how serious this matter is, and you better jump on it. And that's why he meant when he said he sought to kill him, that you're leading toward death. 
and your sons cannot be in the house of covenant, and you are responsible for it. Isn't that interesting? People don't like reading that, especially Jews. But it said God sought the killing. He was letting him know, I mean business. And so Jesus said, teach him to observe everything I told you. Okay. Well, they're not doing that today, so they're not preaching the true gospel. Just believing in Jesus is not true gospel. Devil believes who he is and trembles, but it won't save him. Okay. And so we see that only if a professing Christian is born anew, redeemed, if Christ is in him, does his water baptism avail him anything. It's an act of obedience and a sign to the world that I've come into Christ, that he's my Lord now, that my old sins have been washed away. Okay, when I come up out of the water, the newness of Christ is helping me live the Christian life. Okay, so most professing Christians will say, Lord, Lord, as we say, but he will deny them. They believe mental truth about Christ, and they believe certain things, and they do certain things. And he said, you're lawless. He said, depart from me, you lawless ones, into everlasting punishment. Lawless, you're not under my law. You're without the law of Christ, so you're a sinner. That's what he's calling them. Calls them lawless. They never were, most of them, in Christ, or the ones who got in, they didn't last long. Okay? So we see, as we've said many times, the two billion professing Christians in the world, that's a fallacy and a laugh. I hope there are, and then we're talking about adults. God will judge children differently, and babes, they don't have the law, so they don't have the conscience. So he can have mercy and grace on them without them knowing it. But it's still through Christ. But adult mankind, I hope there are a few million in the world. <laughs> I hate to be that negative. Okay, because we're living in dark end times, and he said, as the days of Noah and Lot, well, only one person was really righteous, and it was Noah. And his sons and daughter-in-laws got in because they obeyed their father. He didn't say they were that righteous. I'm sure they weren't gross sinners, but they obeyed their father and believed what he was preaching. And Lot was the only one. It didn't say his daughters were righteous. They were engaged to pagan sodomites. They were married, but they chose to go with their father over that, and so they were saved from the destruction. But only Lot was righteous. His wife was struck dead because she disobeyed the angel. Her heart was in Sodom, and so God said, let her die with the Sodomites, and she did. See, one look cost her eternity, cost her her soul forever, okay? There's a time when God says enough's enough, okay? And so we see then that the true Jew is a spiritual matter. So today you can say that most of the Jews in New York and Israel, they're not Christians. They're not Jews, spiritual Jews. They're just as lost as any Gentile. There is no fellowship of Jews and Christians. That's a fallacy started by a rabbi who doesn't believe that Christ, Jesus is the Christ. I can't have no fellowship with him. Scripture said, what fellowship has light with darkness? They're no special people now. You know who the special people is? The true Christians. We're the true Jew. We're the true Israel. Not them. 
And only a remnant will be saved after the Antichrist destroys most of them. And the Lord will come at the right time and they will mourn over him and see him for who he It's a remnant. It's not the whole millions of people. Most of them are going to be destroyed, okay? So we see this, that most Jews were cut off from God's covenant and true Christians were grafted in, okay? And so Paul has shown previously the people, they had sins in their past. Even law-keeping Jews and conscience-keeping Gentiles, at times they fail, and they've repented and tried to make it right, but they needed their sins removed by the blood of Christ. And so that's what he did, see? He accepted them. That's what the scripture means when Paul was preaching the gospel. He told the Gentiles, God winked at some things you did and didn't hold you as much accountable, but he's not going to wink anymore once the gospel's given to you. Once the true gospel's given, the law of conscience doesn't apply anymore. The law of conscience must be conscience submitted to Christ. See, that's the difference. The conscience can be enlightened. The conscience can be deceived. It can be weak. As Paul talked about, weak Christians that don't have the knowledge of certain, and so they have to obey their conscience, even though it's wrong. They won't eat certain meats and foods and drink because their conscience keeps telling them. But if they study scripture and are enlightened by the Holy Spirit, then one day they can say, oh, I can eat this. It's been sanctified. See, that's the difference. Okay. So the conscience is used until the gospel comes. Jews that Paul preached to in the Sabbath, every Sabbath for two or three times when he went out to the Gentile world, there were some righteous Jews. And they accepted Christ, very few. And then they were thrown out of the synagogue by the ones that didn't accept Christ. Okay, But God's wisdom, they joined the Gentiles and taught them a thing or two. They said, oh, you've come to Christ and you're saved and you're born again, but let's tell you how it all started. And then they could teach them the law, which is schoolmaster, teach them what the sacrifices meant, teach them how Christ was prophesied. And then the Christian says, oh my, we really got a, a good deal, didn't we? See, they accepted the Lord not knowing a lot of things. And the Jew, the righteous Jew that accepted the law, he had good out of both. And see, that's how Paul could immediately preach the gospel, because he knew the law. And it didn't take him long to see how it corresponded with Christ, okay? So that's what happens when the Holy Spirit acts on the people that respond to the proper conscience and law. So Christ came to forgive sins and empower uh, people and, and this time to live by Christ's indwelling spirit. He doesn't ask them to do what they can't do. He simply said, if you yoke yourself to me, uh, you're not under the bondage of the law of sin and death. And I'll give you power to resist a lot of things and give you insight that they didn't have often under the law. They were at a minimum. And God winked at them too. And he didn't bring into judgment a lot of their inner evil thoughts. It was when they expressed them outwardly. So you may have hated your neighbor under the law, even though you were commanded not to. But it wasn't judged until you manifested it. But the Christians held for the inner law, too. We can't inwardly hate another Christian. Now, the sinner 
We don't have to forgive them unless they ask forgive us. The Bible says, give place to wrath. God will take care of it when he's ready. And like Paul said, what do we have to do with those who are outside of Christianity? Nothing. He said, God judges them. We can't forgive what God hasn't forgiven. But if anybody asks forgiveness and truly means that we should forgive them, and we have to do a Christian, otherwise we'll be cut off from the covenant, okay? Because if Christ is in them and they've repented properly, we have to accept them, okay? And so what happened was God cut those in the old covenant off after spending a thousand years or so with them, and he started to graft the Christians into the olive branch, okay? But the apostles were Jews. For the first six or eight years, all the believers that accepted Christ and were filled with spirit were Jews. Paul was a Jew, so he said we weren't all cut off, but as a whole, the nation and the system was abolished. God didn't need it anymore, and he brought forth judgment on them. And he made sure it wasn't going to be there later on. He didn't need it. He said he abolished it. Why? Because it was useless once Christ fulfilled them. It couldn't save a person. It covered their sins. Only Christ's blood covered all the blood of the animals in the old covenant. It all looked to Christ. And if he hadn't died, they could never have been forgiven. But it covered them where Christ cleanses the sin. It says in Hebrews, he cleanses their conscience from evil work. They don't have a guilty conscience for past things. The true Christian can have his conscience purified, and he can know that he's where he's supposed to be with the Lord, if he follows the Lord, okay? So that's what we see. Now, verse 29, the true Jew under the old covenant was immortally. So even God then, he knew who was his. His circumcision was real because he kept the law and the commandments. And when he failed or sinned, he did certain sacrifice, had the priest sacrifice certain things, paid a certain amount, made restitution. See, that was the commands that he had to do this. Okay. Today, Christians, real Christians, are spiritual Jews. We're the real Israel. It's not those physical why, Ezekiel tells us, even though they come together as a nation, they're not gods. They're not personal. He said God hasn't breathed on them yet. When he breathes on them, they'll be born again. They're not been breathed then. Bone upon bone is coming together. He can use Israel and bless them, and he can still judge them because they're not in covenant. And because of his promises to Abraham and the prophets, he's going to use, as he did, wicked kings. Did you know Jesus' ancestry was through many wicked kings? So he can still use that. But they're not only equal standing with true Christians, they're enemies of Christ, those who don't come to Christ. So there is no true fellowship with anybody spiritually who is not a Christian. Paul said, what fellowship has light with darkness? It cannot be. We can't have it. We cannot be close spiritual friends with people who are not Christians because they're enemies of Christ. Their father, whether they like it or not, is the devil. They're of the world. And they cannot be subject 
to the laws of Christ because they're not Christians. They're not empowered to do it. Okay, So Paul has shown us previously that the people in the past, everyone has sinned. And that's what Isaiah means, there's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, Solomon, who ended up being a backslider and a lost idolater, even he said when he was dedicating the temple, when he was righteous, he said, God, forgive them when they come here. If they confess their sins, forgive them. And then he says, for there's no man who's not sinned. So Solomon knew that as a righteous king at the time. He didn't listen to his own advice, did he? Okay. And so we see what happens, okay? God has to forgive the past sins, or you can't keep going on. You still got that sin there. That's why the people in the lake of fire and in hell, people don't like to hear this. Of course they don't. But it's there for a purpose. The people are continually punished in hell because they're continual sinners. They don't stop being sinners when they go to hell. They might beg and plead and bargain with God, and then when it don't work, their pain and torment curses God. That nature's still in them. And God continually responds to it with his wrath. He said, our God is a consuming fire. And that's what hell is in the lake of fire. He's continually punishing the wicked. That's why it has to keep going on, okay? There is no annihilation. We're going to live eternally one place or the other. It's not going to cease, okay? So Christ was able to wink at the Gentiles that were righteous according to their conscience. He was able to forgive the Jew under the law that tried to make amends if he didn't commit the death penalty sins. God did not tolerate murder, and idolatry. He didn't forgive it. In one case, he did, we see a few. He did David. When David killed, killed the woman he wanted, whatever her name was, he, uh, he wanted her and committed adultery. And she tells him three months later, I'm pregnant. And so he sends for the faithful captain who was a Gentile, or that's where he started off. Go sleep with your wife and take a break. And the man was so faithful to David, he said, well, I couldn't do that while my other men are on the front lines. So what did wicked David do? He had him killed. And according to law, God should have struck him dead. He was a king. And he was the anointed, even though he wasn't walking anointedly at this time. So God said, I'm going to forgive you. Nevertheless, There were four judgments on him that followed him to his death. God didn't forget. He punished him for the rest of his life, but he didn't meet the full measure of his sin. God should have killed him or could have and been justified in it. See, he didn't like murderers, especially of innocent and honest people. Okay, God didn't like that at all. And what did he tell David? The sword shall never depart from your house. And when he wanted to build the temple, God said, you're a man of blood. Uh Uh-uh. I'll let your son build it. And Solomon was righteous for 20, 30 years. And then he ended up worse, much worse than David. He was an idolatry at the end and built heathen temples for his wives and had offered his children to these pagan gods. He wasn't saved. But he was allowed to build a temple because at that time he, he was a righteous person and he followed the Lord. And David, because he did this adultery and killed him, 
God said, I'm going to raise up someone from your own house. Absalom, 20-some years later, tried to overthrow his father, slept with his concubines because then his father could never sleep with them again. And that was the total insult. And David remembered when he killed him. Oh, he weeped for Absalom. He loved him, we could say, too much. He, he excused his sins of his sons and their lust, and he reaped from it. And he said to his soldiers, oh, when you get Absalom, don't harm him for my sake. One of his generals said, that ain't going to happen. And he catches him hanging on a tree by his long hair, and he slays him. And David mourns and mourns, and the general is brave enough to go in and say, you need to straighten up and act right. You've got these people that got your kingdom back, destroyed your enemies, and here you are moaning over this worthless son of yours who was trying to kill you and took your wives. And you know, David listened. He got up and cleaned himself and went out before his people. See, that was the consequence he reaped for sleeping with another man's wife and for murdering an honest man. See, God said, it'll never depart from your house. He died that way. See, so that's a lesson to Christians. You may fail and fall in certain sins, and some will be forgiven. Some of them you may reap the rest of your life for. People think, oh, well, that's just for, uh-uh. Paul said those things were written for us as examples, not the lust after evil things. Oh, I know Christians are being punished the rest of their life. They're bearing the consequences. They backslid and they were once Christians and they raised their children. And after they backslid, the kids started to backslide and he comes back to the Lord and his children don't. And they grow up sinners. And some of them, I know a woman who told me my son died on drugs without the Lord. See, they understood it was the consequences of their sin, see? So people just think, oh, I just confess it and God will forget it. Uh-uh. If we don't learn our lesson and if we keep repeating things, God says, if we don't judge ourselves, we'll be judged. Paul said, if you judge yourselves, you will not be judged of the Lord. It means if you confess and repent and make amends for whatever God gives the space, because if you don't do it, God will do it. And when God does it, he does it right. And he'll do it a lot stronger where you'll learn a lesson from it or you'll be driven out of the kingdom. See, that's the danger. He that is often reproved stiffens his neck. He starts to rebel against God. He becomes willful and disobedient. And it says that he will be cut off without remedy. I mean, that's the consequence. God says, I'm not going to correct him and punish him. I'm going to destroy this wicked person. I'm going to cut him off from the Christ. He still does that to people. And some shall fall away from the church. See, And they're cut off from Christ. They're no longer a branch. They're twice dead and plucked up by the roots. And Peter says it's better that they never had known the Lord than to backslide against him. They crucified Christ afresh. And like Hebrews says, what kind of punishment do you think they're going to get? If you died without mercy under the law for certain sin, he said, what do you think you're going to get for trampling Christ and insulting his spirit? It means your punishment in hell is going to be far greater than the normal center of the world. 
that didn't come to the Lord. You're going to be down there with the serial killers and the bad kings and leaders of the world because you were given more light and you trampled him again. So read Hebrews. If people don't like reading, oh, that's not, that's not encouraging. Well, if you live in sin, you shouldn't be encouraged. Now, I have to say here, I hear people quote all the time the so-called Christians, and it's a false assumption with them. And perfect love casts out fear. That doesn't apply to a Christian and a person who claims to be a Christian who's living a carnal, wicked life. It doesn't count out fear. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. We had to learn to fear him because sin and a rebellion is the only thing that will cause us to be cut off by God. Nothing else can. He will grace us for any situation, but not sin. And so we need to realize that scripture don't apply to the person that's not in the covenant. And yet the person who walks in the Lord, he says, my spirit bears witness with them. Their conscience is clear. See, he can do that. But I heard a lot of people quote that scripture while they're living in sin. I said, you're just deceiving yourself. If you're committing fornication and living in adultery and you're being covetous and greedy, don't quote that scripture because it don't apply to you. Because you're not in complete love. You're not in the love of Christ. You cease being in the love of Christ and in his covenant when you started gross sinning against him and making it a practice and a lifestyle. See, and so people are quoting lots of scripture. It just doesn't apply to them. You have to look at the conditions. Now, even Jesus told a disciple, don't fear men. The worst they could do is kill you. He was talking about them being disciples and faithful. He said, but rather fear him, the Lord, Jehovah, who after he has killed the body can destroy the body and the soul in hell. He says, that's the one you should fear. And then he immediately tells the disciple, but fear not, for it's God's pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's saying God wants to give you the kingdom, and that's his intention. But if you're going to fear man more than God, you're in trouble. And if you think you're going to get away with things by being a practicing sinner against him, you're deceiving yourself. So see, that's the proper fear of the Lord. We have a reverence for him, and we fear to practice sin, because that's the only thing that will separate us from Christ. When Paul names all the things that can't separate us from Christ, he doesn't say sin, because sin can separate us from Christ. See, that's the lying shepherds again. They'll quote that, and they'll add sin. Oh, once saved, always saved, no matter what I do. Uh, well, they're going to have an eternity in the lake of fire to moan over their stupidity, because they didn't want the truth. Uh, they were given the lie. Okay. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart. So he's saying it's in the spirit. When we see the word heart used, it means spirit, the real inner person. A person is a living soul, and his spirit and soul are not divided as the heretic teaches. They use one scripture, but they misinterpret it. Hebrews says the word of God is sharp, and it divides between the spirit and the soul. It doesn't divide the spirit from the soul. It divides the spirit. It divides the soul. It examines them. That's what it means. The spirit and the soul is what makes you a human. You are a personality. Without one or the other, you're nothing. 
The spirit doesn't go to heaven and the soul goes nowhere. <laughs> They're at a package deal. And when the spirit soul, which is the personality, leaves the body, the body's worthless. It's dead. It's of the earth again. has no value except for God will raise the Christian up one day that way. And see, that's where the false heresy comes. Oh, my spirit saved, but I can sin. That was the Nickelodeon teaching that Jesus said he hated. He said he hated that. And he would destroy the children, those who follow it. The Nicolaitans were teaching uh, your spirit can be pure, but you can sin with your soul and body. It doesn't matter. Doesn't that sound like once saved, always saved? Doesn't that sound like a license to sin? When we heard that, it's nothing new. It's still being propagated in a different form. Okay? So it's of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. So the Christian, the Holy Spirit, does something to his conscience and regenerates him, lives in him, purifies his conscience. It's not by the letter. It's not by the law. It's not by the will of man. Now, under the old covenant, they didn't have the born-again relationship, so God dealt with them in a different level. He dealt according to how they acted, not how they often were inwardly. Like I say, but the Christian is. He can't live like them. He can't harbor bitterness and hatred and spite and vengeance against people. Jesus said it's the equivalent of lusting after a woman. You're committing adultery if you're practicing it. Well, that blows a lot of people's theories, don't it? Okay. So it's not by the letter. It's not by human effort. It's not by the law, which was a schoolmaster. It had no power to empower you. It just made decisions on the conscience of what was right and wrong and what the consequences was. But under the new, Christ indwells us and we get help from what? It says that the praise is not from men. It's not you doing anything, but from God. God's spirit, the son of God indwells us, the nature of God. Very God himself indwells us. He's the son of God. I keep telling people, don't try to divide them too much. Isaiah says Jesus is the everlasting Father. He's the Almighty God. That's how Revelations presents him. And there's only one throne. There's not no two thrones. The throne of God and the Lamb. Isn't that interesting, okay? And so we see that he's saying it's a spiritual matter. And God looks inwardly. And he knows who's his. Under every covenant, God knew who was his. People thought they were fool of the people. They could do that for a while. Some high priests and kings were wicked. They didn't fool God. Okay? So we see this. The true Jew was inwardly. And so his circumcision was real because he kept the law and commandments. And when he broke certain ones, he did sacrifice, and he, he repented, and he tried to make things right. Like I said, there were a few sins that he knew there was no repentance for. So he was careful to avoid those. Today, Christians, real Christians, are spiritual Jews. They're of spiritual Israel. I've repeated that. They're empowered. They don't live by the rules, the rituals, and sacrifices, and ceremonies of the law. 
The Christian only is commanded two outward things to do. One is when he becomes a Christian, get baptized in water. And the other is to have communion when you have communion. It even doesn't say when you have communion. Some churches have it every week. Some gatherings have it every three months. Some have it once a year. But he just says when you do it. And they're the only two that's commanded. Now, some like to add a third one, foot washing. Because Jesus told the apostles, but he didn't give that as a command to all Christians. He was teaching the disciples humility and what they were to do if they were his, okay? But some churches do include foot washing as one of the, but that's the only two ordinances. We're not obligated to any ritual, any ceremony, any keeping of a day. That's what we were delivered from. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. We're not under these bondages. And even Peter said, when he was talking about Paul and the Gentiles, he said with James, he said, we can't put the Gentile Christians under the law. He said, even we and our fathers couldn't keep it. He was saying, they don't need it. They need to be liberated. And though we are in Jerusalem and we are Jews and we keep the law as a witness, They didn't keep it because it saved them. James bragged about it. He said, there are many priests that came to the Lord. He said, who are zealous of the law. But they knew the law would not save them. They knew Christ was the fulfillment. They were trying to be a witness. And that's why they stayed there for years. The mainly 12 of apostles, they stayed there until up before the destruction of the temple. They were still trying to be a witness to the Jewish and After 40 years, God said, it's enough. And he scattered them, okay? So Paul has shown previously that all people, even the law abiding and the conscience abiding, there has been sin and it needs to be forgiven and everybody needs the Savior. That no one can stand before God and said, I'm sinless. Only Christ could do that. He was born without the sin nature. He had to be. He could not have hereditary sin being transferred as it did through Adam and a magnetic drawing toward it, the old man. See, the Christian still has the old man, but he keeps him under. And we won't be delivered from him till we die or are raptured. It says we groan. We're looking for that, to be delivered from this creation, this world. We still have to fight temptation the world, the flesh, and the devil. When we cross over, we won't. And even that old nature is left behind. But right now, we're on probation, and we're given the power of the Spirit to subdue it and not let it rule us. See, that's what we're given. So the Christian's given power over sins. He doesn't have to, oh, I've heard professors, oh, we have to sin every day and word thought. I said, then you're a child of the devil. What else can I say? then where's the power of Christ? See, they think it's a mental, oh, he's covered, I can keep license to sin, I can keep doing as I please, because I have to, well, if you have to sin, you're a child of the devil. And that's what the scripture teaches. See, they're false Christians. They're false teachers. And they will delude many, because people love to believe lies. And they want to be excused for their evil doing. But they're not going to be. So we have Christ. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes alongside 
And then he indwells us. People try to make a division too much. Uh, say, so we have two intercessors. They say Christ in heaven and a whole. No, we have one. Christ is that spirit. Paul tells us. He said, Christ is that spirit. See, he's one with the Godhead. And it says there's only one mediator between God and man, Jesus. See, it doesn't even mention the spirit because he is the spirit. So truly, there's one mediator, the Son of God. He has his body still in heaven, and he acts on the human side as a mediator until he returns as king. And he indwells every believer. It's still him. See, he's one and the same. That's why Christ dwells in us. He can only do that as God. Jesus told the disciples, remember, I'm with you now. He said, but I shall be in you. Well, while he was with them, he was confined to a body. His divinity was laid aside. He emptied himself of the full use of of his Godhead. His knowledge was limited. His power was limited only by the will of the Father. But he said, but when I go and I'm glorified, that means I return to the Father and all of the Godhead is returned to me. He said, then I will live in you. How will I live in you? He'll be God. He'll be the Holy Spirit, one with the Spirit and the Father. That's how he's going to do it. So we need to understand that, that he helps us to overcome these things. That's the work of sanctification. All gross sinning has to stop. If you read Paul and Jesus, they'll tell you what gross sin is. If you practice that, you won't make it to heaven. But we have imperfections and we have lots of flaws that this is the work of sanctification. God is working with us and some things he doesn't bother with too much. And then as you move along in the Lord, he says, "Uh, we need to deal with this now. See, I've, people ask, well, is smoking going to send me to hell? I said, no, I don't think so. Unless you, the Holy Spirit's made it plain, you'll stop. And after five years, you're still rebelling. It might send you to hell. Any sin will send you to hell if you persist in it and be openly rebellious toward the Lord. So that's the work of sanctification. Okay, we're going to stop at the end of the chapter, verse 29. Lord, give us wisdom, give us practical application, help us to retain the truth and remember the truth and not be as Eve that the devil caused me to forget. And Peter wrote his book. He said, I know you know these things, but lest you forget them, I'm going to leave you an epistle. So when Christians start to forget, The devil leads them astray. Uh, Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.